this is The Cole Memo. I am your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to now. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. Find the corresponding episode and you will then be able to access the audio, video, and transcripts. You might also find any links that we reference during the episode so that you might be able to do your own research. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com slash Patreon. Once again, that's thecolememo.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's a great way to support our show. One of the best ways to support our show is free. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from. Favorite this episode. Give it a thumbs up, leave a comment, or post a review. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Enjoy this episode of The Cole Memo. Today's episode was released on October 24th, 2023, and it looks like I filmed it on October 10th, 2023. Enjoy the episode. Well, Masha, I'm so excited to have you officially join me on the Cole Memo. It was cool. I was reminding myself where we met in Denver at Jane West's party. I think we were uh, enjoying, as I like to say, enjoying the fresh air. In other words, I think we might have been sharing a joint. But yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, could you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell our audience where we can find you online and such? Yep. So my name is Masha T. And I am currently in Florida. Um, I work with ACS Laboratory. I do corporate, we call it corporate growth and education. That's our form of marketing. Um, we really are more about education than marketing. ACS Laboratory is um, one of the biggest uh, cannabis and hemp testing laboratories in the country. We're a 20,000 square foot facility located outside of uh, Tampa, Florida. We are ISO accredited, DEA licensed. We are CLIA licensed, which means we can do human trials. Um, we can test blood, saliva, urine, those kind of things um, for, uh, they're called pharmacokinetic studies. So bioavailability, basically. So what makes us unique is we can test the plants, but then we can also test metabolites um, in, you know, from the human body. So, which is, amazing for any kind of in-depth studies or things like that, that, that brands could do to look at the efficacy and the bioavailability of their products. Um, I also, I speak on, I speak at conferences, mostly on psychedelics these days. That's all everybody wants to hear about. Um, um, I'm on Twitter, underscore Masha T, that's M-I-S-H-A-T-Y. And same with Facebook and LinkedIn. And then acslab.com, you can find um, on Instagram. Sorry, did I say Twitter? I meant to say underscore Masha T. Um, Twitter or X, whatever it is now. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm still the Masha Club. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, yeah, cool. that's where you can find me. Cool. And uh, yeah, like you said, acslab.com. I was displaying it there earlier. Um, it's really cool to see that you're a DEA registered laboratory. That was cool. Yes. Um, so yeah, I just wrote down too. I definitely want to talk about the idea of metabolites in the body. I didn't realize you could test for things like that. Um, I'm just curious though, to start off and I'm struggling to find the clip right now. If I find it here in a second, I'll play it, but maybe we just, I think this will ease us into a conversation about everything. Um, the Florida cannabis market, which is where, you know, you mentioned you are, uh, what's that like? Um, 
Um, well, what's it like? The Florida cannabis market is an interesting market. So it is a medical market. Um, we have, I think, close to 900,000 patients at this point, which makes us probably one of the biggest medical states in the country. Um, there is no home grow. There's no, um, you know, adult use, I think, is going to be on the ballot. Everybody is expecting some progress with that. Um, we are governed by the Department of Health, the Florida Department of Health. So that's the governing body. And it is a vertical market, which means that um, a, a license, uh, and they're called MMTC, Medical Marijuana Treatment Centers. They're called MMTCs. Mm. So brands like, I'm sure you've heard of True Leaf, which is a national brand, um, Cookies, uh, Vitacan, um, some others, Sunburn. So there's some that are that are MSOs, you know, that like Grow Healthy that are across the country. And then there's a few like the Flowery that are just um, within Florida. Um, I'm sorry, Vitacan is within Florida. But so what's interesting is that the way that the Florida market is is structured is that so a vertical license means that you own the entire supply chain. So you've got to cultivate, you you're the cultivator, the processor, the extractor, um, and the retailer, and also delivery. So all of those licenses are it's like a super license. Um, those are they play within one brand. So what happens is um, right now we have. 21 of those in Florida, 21 MMTCs, and we have an application process that, that just closed. So there was a bunch of applicants. I think there were like 72 or 73 applicants for the new process, and we're not sure when the decision will be made, but I think they're awarding like 21 new licenses. What makes it unique is that there is not a limit for the amount of dispensaries that um, an MMTC could have. So um, we've got, you know, truly, I think, which is uh, the top with about 127 dispensaries across the state. And then you have some others that are starting out that have three or four. Um, I think Move, which is owned by Verano, it's, um, I think they have like 70 stores. So there's a gamut, you know, between um, sort of the footprint that these brands have. Yeah. Being a medical state, we have um, interesting rules when it comes to packaging. So the packaging is sort of very bland. You know, it's got to look very medical. So it's it's all white with just one color logo. Mm -hmm. You know, there's different, there's, there's certain things, you know, that, are restricted and so i think that creates a level of creativity and as we know you can't advertise you know cannabis you, you can't really advertise except to your database and being a laboratory even though we don't technically touch the plant you know we're not plant touching we we basically we test we test cannabis we also test hemp um, and mushrooms and kratom. But when it comes to cannabis, what we test it for, and those rules are, uh, again, the governing body, which is the Florida Department of Health has created these rules for testing. So the plants are tested for potency. So, you know, THC potency and 11 cannabinoids. So THC, CBD, CBG, you know, like the 11 mm -hmm. of the major cannabinoids. And then we also test for terpenes, which are not required, but obviously are a differentiator. What's required by the state is potency and then pesticides, heavy metals, residual solvents for extracts, and then um, microbiology, filth and farm material, there's water activity, and there's, um, I think there's one other thing that I'm forgetting, but so it's basically to test the purity of the product. So we tested like medicine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And the clip that I was looking for, which I just am not able to find right now, and I know that the moment we get off the phone call, I'll find it. Um, but uh, your governor, who is not exactly pro-cannabis, I was surprised to see him describe the market as an oligopoly. Um, 
interesting which i can't find right now uh, i swear it was him and like i say being anti-cannabis i was surprised to see him describe it that way and then what you just described is yeah it sounds like it's so there's a limited number of licenses but the licensees have no limits really correct correct yeah wow yeah very interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, so, okay. So you, we, we kind of segued to uh, testing, which is exactly how I thought we'd naturally uh, transition before I moved to testing though. Any other thoughts on that? I didn't mean to just transition after I brought up uh, governor DeSantis description of the. So the the other thing I wanted to uh, note about testing. So um, you'll hear, I mean, throughout the term COA. Yep. So that's the certificate of analysis, COA for short. So that is the test result. So when the product is tested, the result is called a COA, the certificate of analysis. And that shows all the different levels. It shows the, um, you know, it shows the potency levels. It shows the fact that all the products were tested for um, Florida has very strict guidelines. We test for 67 pesticides. Um, mm. We test for 21 residual solvents. And so all the states have different guidelines, which is what makes it so challenging. And that's when 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 people talk about that there's no standardization in testing, that's what they mean. You know, Massachusetts has different guidelines than Colorado, than Florida. So it's it's tricky. Yeah. But the COA itself is what tells the patient how they're going to feel and that it's a clean product. And then we have a QR code that's produced that 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 can go on the package for the patient, you know, to to review those results. Yeah. And thank you by the way for making sure people understood what COA is. I, we try to recommend people that if you're going to purchase products, be sure to ask the person that's, you know, vending those products for lack of better words for a certificate of analysis or for a COA. Um, it's good to know what you're consuming. And on that note, you were mentioning everything you test. So you say 11 cannabinoids, terpenes. Um, that's within the cannabis plant. Um, I don't know if we, what you mentioned psychedelics earlier, so I don't know if you want to segue to that just yet, but I figure since we're talking about testing of drugs, it's applicable, right? Sure. sure. Um so we do have a DEA license, which means that, which means that we can test, uh, we can accept um, scheduled substances from other DEA licensed labs or research facilities, right? So um, that's that's a practice that so there's a, a special form that gets that gets filled out everything gets registered with the DEA and then they're able to send us samples in the mail whereas with we have you know control And they go and they pick up the samples and then they drive them back to the lab. So that's, you know, a little bit of a difference there with the, with the DEA products. So we've been testing a lot of mushrooms um, that are being used right now for research. And um, believe it or not, it's easier to receive samples from Jamaica for mushrooms than it is in from, you know, anywhere in the U.S. because it's legal in Jamaica. And so in Jamaica, they don't need it license they just need um they just need to be able to export the samples out and other countries they're you know depending on the country and and they're all different many of them they're not illegal so they can just send them to us and but we still have to file in uh, a permit with the dea to receive them so everything is like super uh tracked and you know we have to be very careful which gives it you know there's a lot of paperwork and even those like there is no just how there's no like seat to sale tracking system there is not it's all paper trail right now there's not a chain of custody that's um i mean there is a, a formal chain of custody but that's why i'm so excited about what we're doing with the blockchain uh we recently uh partnered with uh blockticity to put 36,000 coas on the blockchain 
for, for our hemp clients. Not yet for cannabis. We'll be doing that next, but we wanted to do a proof of concept. And that's really, really exciting. Um, we work with Ava Labs. At, it's, it's Avalanche. It's their blockchain. But it basically says that this is the test, you know, these are the test results that are indisputable and they're put on the blockchain and there's there's so much potential there to track everything about the product, including genetics, how it tests, how it moves through the supply chain. Um, it's just, you know, the, the potential is huge and, and I am excited about that. Well, but with, with my, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I didn't mean to interject. Uh, remember, it sounds like you're about to segue with mushrooms, but that sound, I just wanted to quickly commend you on that. It sounds awesome because I know there's a lot of like outrage right now surrounding hemp and the fact that it sounds like you're making access to COAs easier is a good thing because it kind of takes the air out of anybody's argument against hemp if it's tested and exactly such, right? Exactly. Because when we produce the COA, at the end of the day, it's a PDF, right? It, that, it, that It's a PDF file. So all these different brands that can upload the PDF to their website, like they could be tampered. They could be, you know, there's a lot of funky things that are going on, but if you have a third party blockchain, which is really nothing more than just a, a, a website in a, in a different sense, the way that it, you know, what, what the user experience is, it lets you know that that's indisputable and, and that it's authentic. Now, uh, so back to the segue back to mushrooms is that what's so interesting about mushrooms is that mushrooms, I mean, there's over 400, 400 compounds in magic mushrooms, right? And so what I'm seeing is like just how in cannabis, we're so focused on the THC in mushrooms, everybody's really focused on the psilocybin, you know, but it's really just one tryptamine. So you've got psilocybin, psilocin, biocystin, norbiocystin, and on and on and on. There's so many of them, you know, and there's, we know so little right now because mm, it's been very underground. A lot of labs, you know, won't share that information. Um, Hypey labs that, I mean, I have so much respect for Reggie Harris and the things that he's done in over in Oakland and and um, Tryptomics, some of these other labs that have been not only testing, but publishing the results for stu in, in studies. Um, they published a big study where actually at the psychedelic conference where we met. So, you know, with mushrooms, I feel like the more science that we share and the more information that we share, it really allows people to treat it like a medicine where they can know what to expect, you know, because right now people take mushrooms and they're like, oh, you know how much do you take? Oh, you take a half a gram, you take a gram, you take a micro of, a, of what, you know, it's like, we just talk about it by weights. And it's kind of silly because there are over 180 species, you know, uh, golden teachers, uh, penis envy, all kinds of different species. They have different potencies. They have different active tryptamines and very much like cannabis where there's different strains all these different subspecies originated in different parts of the world you know some grew next to churches and so they're more spiritual and there's all these theories you know um, and so I feel really honored to actually get to look at the data and and have the science behind it and help people with precision dosing, you know, help people, you know, um, we're working with a group that they're going to be supplying the mushrooms for a huge study for cancer patients. Like that to me, you know, you're stressed out at the end of the day and people are like, oh, you're not curing cancer, relax. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, like we might be, you know, yeah. we might be curing cancer. So it's, it's really, it's really exciting because it's, it's just the beginning. Yeah. And like you say, being able to gauge your experience is so important. And just like to to your point, there are some times when I've taken mushrooms and it's what I would describe as the best feeling ever. And then there are some times where it's not that it's not the best feeling ever, but it's not exactly what I had before. And it's like, what did I do differently? And, you know, I will, I, if I had more information, I feel like I could make better decisions based off of that. Like what, 
in what world do you not make better decisions when you're presented with more information? Like hopefully in an ideal world, right? In an right. ideal world, you make better decisions because you you're presented with more information. And yeah, like you say, without that, which is largely how we're operating, it's hard to make uh, informed decisions. And I know this might sound unrelated, but t- you know, one of the things that I've noticed is, so I had these cannabis beverages. They're actually hemp derived THC, uh-huh. right. uh, THC products, which are, you know, completely legal in all States basically. And I was drinking one at a family event and my, both my grandmother and my aunt asked me like, Oh, what is that? And they even took a sip out of it. Now I would never be able to get them to take a, like a baby. I could never talk them into like, Oh, just take a little hit, you know, just take a little hit off this, but with a drink, because it's like something, something they're so accustomed to, even if they don't necessarily, um, if they're not necessarily familiar with the substance, they were comfortable enough to take like a sip. And so, like I say, it doesn't exactly relate to, to what you're talking about. Cause what I was kind of just talking about is mode of consumption, but I would hope that with not only more information, but also different modes of consumption that, yeah, like people are able to make better decisions, you know, decisions that make sense for them. Absolutely. Well, and you know, it's on that topic, like with mushrooms, just because they're illegal or not decriminalized doesn't mean that there's not like a huge industry. (laughs) Right. Right. So we know this and they come in, there's gummies, there's chocolate, and, you know, there are different modes of consumption. And many times, and I don't know, I'm sure you've experienced this and our audience has experienced it, where you have a mushroom chocolate and you'll take a square and you won't feel anything. So like 30, 40 minutes later, you're like, oh, let me just take two more. And then all of a sudden you cannot move. And it's because it's not homogenized in the chocolate. So You know, it's not um, evenly distributed. And it's the same thing with gummies. You know, one gummy may work, one gummy may not. And so we have a long way to go, but but we've also come really super far as far as um, figuring out extraction methods and um, the vehicle for delivery and stuff like that Yeah, with, with mushrooms. And I just wanted to dwell on that just for a moment. And uh, then I wanted to ask you about a few other things, but I just love that you made that point. The the homogenous mixture, folks, what we're dealing with right now are heterozygous mi- mixtures. Am right. I wrong? I mean, right. right? <laughs> so they're not, they're not even. In other words, I'm just totally pulling this out of my high school science education. <laughs> like I remember that they would show us like an even mixture for a homogenous mixture, but then like they'd show us oil and water because it'd be separated and they'd be like, see, this is heterozygous. It's not, it can't mix. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's important to, to know. And some comedians have even made jokes about it with regard to edibles, you know, edibles versus Tylenol. It's like Tylenol is this uniform mixture. So if you like split it in half, you're, you are splitting it in half, like to an extent, you know what I mean? You got to make sure you literally split it in half, but with cannabis and like you say, even psilocybin, these, these mixtures are not homogenous or in other words, uniform. And and that can be the root of a lot of these issues, I think. Yeah. You know? Yes. What do you think is the answer just to, before we move on from that, do you think it, there's some sort of, is it, is it a combination of testing and technique or like, how do we solve that problem? It's but yes, definitely. It's both. It's testing and technique. And, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall in love with their own products. Yeah. Right. So they get like really hooked on, but it's such a great product. And, you know, yeah, I mean, but you have to be willing to look at it objectively and to have many other people try it and get feedback. And there's going to be different versions you know like we also test amanita mushrooms and that's been an amanita mushrooms for those that that have not heard of them those are the the red mushrooms with the white dots amanita muscaria and so that's a mushroom that's been around for thousands of years it's literally been hiding in plain sight you know that the smurfs lived in those mushroom houses and like 
that's the mushroom that Mario brother, like Mario brothers, he eats that mushroom and he grows giant, you know, and um, legend. Yeah. Yeah. They're so cute. I love them. So legend. And they really look like that. They're not, they don't even look real. And so legend has it that the Vikings ate them to feel like giants before they went into battle. I mean, so many cool legends. Um, so the Amanitas are legal. They're not scheduled. And their active ingredients are muscamol and muscarine libotanic acid. And they're different than psychedelic mushrooms because the psychedelic mushrooms like psilocin um, binds with your serotonin receptor in your brain. And your serotonin is like your happy messenger. You know, like if you are depleted in serotonin, that leads to depression and, you know, loss of energy and other things. Um and so it's amazing because like the psilocin molecule looks exactly like the serotonin molecule. Well, for Amanita, their active ingredients bind with our GABA receptors. So the GABA receptors are what's responsible for sleep and, you know, different things like, unfortunately, a lot of the, like the drugs out on the market today, like, you know, Xanax, Ambien, a lot of the sleeping pills, they're also meant to bind with our GABA receptors. And, and, and they kind of do, but they, they, your body doesn't fully go into theta when you're sleeping. So you, you don't really feel rested. And the Amanitas are what's called, they're called delirians. So they allow you to not only have the most restful sleep, but you also experience lucid dreaming, you know, when you're sleeping. And it's, there's just there, it's a beautiful, incredible, mushroom and people so the reason i'm talking about this is because it's people have been trying to figure out how to get to a good product with amanitas so i've been working with clients in on the rmd and it's been tough because like the mushroom itself will test a certain way and you have to also you can't eat the raw mushrooms so i i want to say that like if you see these beautiful mushrooms don't pick it and eat it and you one will get sick one thing you said just really quick too, I thought that was interesting. They only grow outdoors. I was like, what? They do, which is really yeah. kind of cool, right? They only grow, grow outdoors. Whereas with um, psilocybin containing mushrooms, we can mimic the environment and grow them indoors. And we've gotten really good at that now. But there's something about the Amanita. Um, it's their symbiosis with the ground, with wood, with the mycelium network. They really need to be connected in order to grow. And I think there are people that have tried to grow them indoors. And um, maybe I'm sure there's a way we just, you know, we haven't figured it out yet. But it there, you have to dry them and decarboxylate them in order to remove the ibotanic acid, which is considered a neurotoxin. So you can have traces of it, but not, it can't, you know, be present. But to get to a final product, like we were working with makers that they be, could be testing the mushroom, the the dried mushroom powder, it looks great. They test it, looks great. They put it into a gummy, gummy, super low potency. It does not show up, you know? And we're trying to figure out why, what's, why are the gummies testing lower? Like, and so, and that's part of the, you know, the product development roadmap. That's like my favorite, I think part of what I do is working with entrepreneurs and brands to figure out how do you get to a better product and how you get there is testing you've got to because the gummy could taste amazing you could take four or five of them and you know and then it, they do nothing why i mean so these are the things you know that we need to figure out the same thing in chocolate I think it's a little bit different in chocolate. We kind of have a theory that the pectin and the sugar may reduce the potency of the muscamol, which is which is the active ingredient in Amanita that everybody wants. But th again, this is a legal mushroom. People are making products and it's it's almost like the delta 8 of the hemp industry, you know, it's like that kind of legal backdoor that it's kind of the wild west yeah yeah i actually the, uh 
there was a hemp company in Illinois that I recently visited in Southern Illinois University uh, that was selling hemp in the college, which was so cool because it's completely illegal and it's weird to see. Like <laughs> he had like jars of weed of hemp, right. and uh, but he also had a bag of like gummy a- Amanita muscaria mushrooms, and it didn't click to me. Uh, what exactly he was talking about uh i was like wait a minute that sounds familiar because we had talked um mm-hmm. but but yeah i it wasn't ringing a bell so like you say i didn't even realize that it was like right in front of me and mm-hmm. and I, I will be looking out more because it sounds like like you say it's almost like the back door into the industry and i do want to get to that topic i wanted to talk to you about hemp like the hemp and cannabis testing and yeah. sort of delta eight and stuff um but just more on the uh topic of psychedelics i'm curious you know i'm sure that well i guess the dea has been testing these compounds for i don't know do you know the history on it i I guess what i was about to ask sorry i know i'm throwing a lot at you there uh (laughs) what i'm trying to ask is you know since we don't know anything it's like when you run these tests sometimes do you have to like create things do you get my question here where it's like yeah, that's a great question. So when we develop the method to test for something, we buy certified reference materials mm. from like a, a certified. So there's manufacturers that make reference materials. What does that mean? It means that you get the the, the starting material. So I'll use psilocybin. So there is, we buy a sample of psilocybin that is, certified tested to be 100% psilocybin and then you take that and then you develop a method along with the instrument so we use um LCMS which is liquid chromatography mass spectrometry to read the results so you have a standard so that's the 100% and then everything that you test compares against that mm. standard Right. Mm. And so that's how it works, except for the mushrooms are not 100 percent psilocybin. Right. They're they're just a tiny percent. So so the certainty is in measuring the psilocybin and then the psilocin and then all the other tryptamines. It works the same way with cannabis. So we have the reference standards for THC, CBD, CBG, Delta 8, you know, Every single cannabinoid, we test for over 30 cannabinoids now. It's almost like, it, you know, it's you get dizzy thinking about how many cannabinoids there are. Right. There's, we don't know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg, right? There's over 180 cannabinoids. We only test for 30 of them. And then we think we're testing for a lot. And here, everyone's obsessed with THC. That's one. You know, it's right. just like one, you know? And so... It always makes me laugh when when people just are so hooked on THC potency because it doesn't like sure that's great but you know you've got a whole football team are you only going to look at the quarterback right you know no so it's yeah we have lots I mean even as like mature as the cannabis industry we think it is it really isn't. Yeah. As far as science goes, you know, there's still a lot more to learn. Yeah. And that's, that was, thank you. That was the root of my question there. I, I like, I, I was aware that, you know, there's hundreds of cannabinoids and I'm aware that from what you taught me today, there are multiple tryptamines and psilocybin, but I, yeah, I kind of was wondering like, so, okay. You just said you're testing for 30 in cannabis, but I just wondered like, yeah, if the, it's, if it's like, you're ever looking at this and you're like, Again, I don't know much about the process, but it's like you're looking at the lab paper. You're like, huh, what's this tryptamine? And then it's like you almost have like an opportunity to name it. Like I'm going to name it Masha tryptamine. No, no, it's not like that. Um, Okay. When we develop a method, we already know what we're testing for. Mm. Um, So this is the goal. The goal is to be able to identify 100% of that material, Right. right? Most mushrooms right now are only testing between one and two percent of psilocybin, and then a very small percentage of everything else. So, like ninety-six percent of that mushroom we haven't quantified yet. 
Yeah. Is it true that that um sorry for the very specific question. Is it true some people say that the caps are more potent than the stems? Have you ever done a test like that? You know, uh, we have not yet, but I know that Oakland Hyphy did a test like that um and they published the results. I want to say last year they published it. And I think it was mixed. Like it was kind of in like it varied that it depends on the species on the subspecies and so sometimes yes for caps sometimes yeah it was varied so i think that that is a myth um i think when in amanitas yes the caps absolutely from from what i've been reading are more potent but again we need more data you know sure. to really to to know this and the, again the potency if you're only looking at psilocybin, yeah, maybe the caps have more of that, but maybe the stems have something else that we don't right. know, you know? So right. it's like this, you're, it's, and listen, I'm not a chemist. Like I'm not, I don't have a medical degree. I'm just, you know, when I get obsessed with something, I get really curious and I find out everything that I can about it. And then I feel like my mission is to simplify things for people, you know, to help them navigate. And to make these complex concepts simple. And lab testing is kind of, you know, it is complex. We have to explain to our clients all the time how to read, you know, how to read this certificate of analysis. It's not that simple, you know, and um, we sort of, we've sort of taken it for granted, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what they're reading. Yeah. I've got a really interesting question for you about like cannabinoids. You mentioned, what did you say? There was 180 cannabinoids, roughly, maybe, maybe there's more. Maybe. I forget what the number is. It was either 118 or 180. I know See, I've, I've heard of, it. yeah, I I've heard around that number. Over a hundred yeah. is the point yeah, yeah, and, yeah, sure. and maybe even more. Um, yeah. So I would like to get back to that idea. I wrote it down. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about lab shopping. And I don't know, like, since you're a DEA lab, if you really even fall into that category, but we it's do. like, oh, okay. So yeah. um, my thing about, it's like, it's when people describe third-party testing, it makes it sound like it's like this unbiased source that you don't pick, but that's very much not true. What And I'm not saying that anything is anything so, bad is happening, but I'm just like, it is interesting. So like, how do you, what are your thoughts on that? So we, we are, we're DEA registered, but we're still a third party independent laboratory, mm. right? So our client is the brand or the MMTC. At the end of the day, those results we're being contracted to test products and then report the results, right? We report them. We can't say, wow, your product, and especially if it's something like unregulated, like if it's just like an R&D test, if it's high in metals, we just report that to them. And then sure. it's up to them to do what they're going to do with it. Now, if it's a compliance test for cannabis and it fails, um, if it fails molds and mildew or if it fails metals or solvents, we have to report that to the state. That's by law because we're uh, also state certified. Now, if it's mushrooms or hemp, we don't have to report that to the state. You know, for hemp, the only thing that's required is if it's over 0.3% THC. Right. And that only gets reported at harvest. So if you are making products, let's say you 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 buy, you know, some distillate and you're you believe the COA that you received from someone else that was selling it to you, or you buy, you know, um live rosin, whatever, you buy bulk stuff, right? And you believe the COA that someone gives you. I'm talking about hemp, right? Mm-hmm. and you don't test it to verify it yourself that's a huge mistake so you should always test it yourself as well so they would you know send it to us 
and we test it and let's say our results don't match the results that they got. Well, then they have to say, okay, who am I going to believe, right? Which lab am I going to believe? Um, if that product tests hot, meaning like they tell me it's a hemp product and it's got 1% THC or whatever, I'm going to let the client know. I'm not mm. going to report it to the, we're not the police, sure. you know, it's still, sure. we're still working for them. Everything is still confidential with the exception of what I just said, when it's uh, a compliance test for cannabis for the state, in which case, if they fail, you know, metals or contaminants or anything like that, we do report that. I guess what I was asking about, have you heard of like other labs, like I think in other states, I've never heard of it personally in Florida, but uh, like I think in Colorado, I've heard of people shopping for labs that give them higher THC oh, THC sure. numbers. Yeah, for sure. People do still shop for that, you know. And that that's um, where I was saying it's like it's yeah. third party independent makes it sound like it's like it's like you picked it out of a hat or something, but like that's not the case. Is the point I'm making, you know? Well, you know, we have. The third party independent means like, okay, let's say you're making a product, right? And mm -hmm. you did your own testing in house. That's not an independent test. That's not uh, a third okay. party independent yeah. test, right? Yep. So, and many brands do, they do testing in house, but then once they send it to us and it's third party verified, that gives it more credibility and more plausibility. And also um, commercially allows them to sell the product, you know? Um, it's funny, a lot of these Amanita products, like we've heard about them being taken off the shelves because they have psilocybin in them. So people are, you know, making Amanita products and putting in some uh, magic mushrooms in there because they can't really figure out how to get to a good product just doing Amanitas. And mushrooms are so cheap to grow. They're like, oh, let me just throw that in there because nobody's really testing for that, but we are, you know, so... Uh, we could do like a negative psilocybin test to say this product does not contain any psilocybin. It is an Amanita product. Like it's, you know, it's compliant. Yeah. And um, yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. Is there any like equivalent to, so you just described with hemp, it's 0.3% THC. Yeah. It's not, I, I think it's uh, with like psilocybin, for example, the number needs to be zero. Am I correct? Like for it oh, to yeah. be legal, yeah, like yeah. there's yeah. no it's like, no, no, but isn't that funny? Just, I wanted to, that's kind of funny, isn't it? When you think about well, that, like we've made this distinction, this legal distinction where it's like, there can be, yeah. yeah, well, but also, you know, hemp is, is governed by a different body, right? Hemp is the. U.S. Department of Agriculture, right? Mm -hmm, right. So with the Hemp Farm Bill, when they passed the Hemp Farm Bill, they said 0.3% THC, all parts of the plant. Right. So that kind of, now you've got Delta-8 products, HHC products, all these different derivatives, right, that people are making that are all legal. Mm -hmm. So that's why everybody's kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with the uh, the next hemp farm bill. And this is what makes hemp tricky, right? Even though it's nationally legal, it's still state to state is different. Right. Whereas right. cannabis is federally illegal, but legal state to state. You know, so and, and so there's different tax. It's a different tax code. And um, and in fact, like in Florida, if you are an MMTC, if you're a medical marijuana treatment center, you cannot sell hemp in this store. That's a different license altogether. It's it's crazy, you know, so we do Which, have some cannabis brands that also make hemp products that they're not allowed to sell in their own dispensaries. Yeah, that that's an interesting one. Um we actually found recently, and I'll share it on the screen. Um, it's it might be hard for you folks to see, so I hope you're able to zoom in. Unfortunately, I can't. But there's a menu here, and this is from an okay. Illinois dispensary. Okay. This, this top one has 0.34% THC. Okay. But this bottom one has 0.01. This other one has 0.01. This one has yeah. 0.01, which means it's 
it's funny it's hemp right since it's right. under 0.03 right um, or it could be you could sell it legally as hemp and so i think um i think it's interesting the thca one that that's no, the most interesting one hard. to me because that's basically what that flower was that i was just displaying you would call it if you wanted to sell it legally you would call it thca flower because it has right. less than 0.03 that's an interesting one because it really just shows you just the the arbitrary the how arbitrary the law is right well it, it's not that it was arbitrary so remember that when the law was made they just talked about thc sure the plant is thca and right. thc and cbda and cbd and cbga and cbg and all that stuff everything is thca until it's lit right so it is all potentially thca mm -hmm. right but the way that we so in florida and in many other states the way that it's reported is it's called total thc mm. so total thc equals thca times 0. 0.8777 right. plus thc so if your THCA is very high, your total THC will be high. Mm. But the THC can still be 0.3. Right. So what they're saying is that the hemp farm bill doesn't say total THC. It says THC, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's nom nomenclature. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, you know, heated debates about this right, right. now. Right. Yeah, we hosted one. It got really yeah. good. <laughs> and it's risky, you know, and, and for us, we tell all of our clients, like, look, if this is what you're doing, if this is how you want to run your business, you should know. And again, we're not the police, right? Sure. But you should know this is how we report the results by law. That's how we have to report the results. So I think, you know, brands that are doing this, you know, who am I to judge? Yeah, I mean, there are big brands that are doing it there now, are like really big brands. That cookies, are doing it. And for example. Shipping yeah, right. shipping it across the United States. Shipping it across the country. Um, I wanted to to close off on a kind of a just closing out with that conversation. It's interesting, you know, when I first was introduced to legal cannabis, one of the pitches, uh, my bud tender made to me is exactly, you know, kind of what you've been drilling is uh it's not all about THC. And I remember I was so intrigued to be introduced to the world of legal cannabis because they had like a poster up and it showed like all of the cannabinoids yeah. and like what they might do and could do. And I remember trying different cannabinoid based products. Like I tried Delta eight for the first time in an Illinois dispensary, um, not in a gas station, like most people okay. have for their first, you know, it was yeah. in an Illinois dispensary, uh, a legitimate product. And, um, you know, I've tried other, you know, CBG, CBN, and I just remember it being all about like, hey, now we have access to this, we're embracing science and, you know, we're not discriminating on cannabinoids anymore, right? We're, we're embracing them all for what they can do. But lately, as you just alluded to, it's gotten really heated. And some people have this opinion that like Delta-8 is bad and certain cannabinoids are bad. How did we get here? Because I again, we started, I was looking at the poster enamored and in love with the fact that we have all this information and all these extra cannabinoids. And now people are like taking some and put these are good and these are bad. You know, well, and it's like, you know, I, I don't think there's it's not that they're bad. It's how they're manufactured. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got Delta eight from cannabis. And then you have Delta eight from him. Now. Which, by the way, it's all cannabis, right? So let's just, yeah. So so the cannabis plant has been genetically modified to only, uh, to be to be a low THC plant that we now call. The cannabis plant does have all of these different cannabinoids, including traces of Delta-8, and CBN, when it's an older plant, that's more of like a um, a degradation thing or an aging thing. It gets down to CBN. 
um, it starts with CBG, you know, so CBG plants are like cut earlier, you know, they're everything, there's like a science to everything. Now, um, Delta-8 is really incredible. It works with both your CB1 and your CB2 receptors. Um, and so you, you still get the lift, but you're kind of like not as confused. So it's great for pain and it's great to go to sleep because you're not as, um, you don't wake up, or at least for me, I don't wake up in the morning as tired. But, but what's happened is because Delta-8 does get you high and because it is legal, it's created this loophole. And many people that can't get into cannabis that are locked out of cannabis because, you know, it's so expensive to get a license and, you know, there's just all these different barriers to entry. The barriers to entry in hemp are a lot lower. So there are people that are making Delta-8. Now, let's be clear. You can make Delta-8 in the lab instead of just extracting. You would not extract the plant to get Delta-8. That would be way too expensive. You'd have to go through way too much material. So you can take CBD and through a chemical conversion process, make it into Delta-8. So what happened? The CBD market kind of uh, became oversaturated and people were sitting on so much supply when they found out about this way to make Delta-8, it was like, oh, everybody jumped in, but not everybody is a good chemist, right? Especially when they owned a construction company last year. They're not a chemist. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, And, you know, full respect for construction co companies and all that, but you now all of a sudden you've got everybody and their mother that all of a sudden is a manufacturer and, and is a chemist and is talking, you know, compounds and this and that and right. and they're using materials, residual solvents that are not even on the radar of regulations. Right? Well, that's kind of scary. Yeah. That is scary. <laughs> so we can test for and and we do though because Florida, you know, we test for 21 solvents. It's pretty, it's pretty tough to get around that. Like if you can pass Florida solvents, you know, um, it's pretty tough. But like ethanol, um, you know, uh, methanol, hexane, propane. There's like all these, you know, there, there's a level of toxicity. You don't want any traces of that. So that's really where the danger is. I think with delta eight is that it's and and there's a a huge gamut. Like you have people that are just making amazing products in a GMP facility that um, that are chemists that understand what they're doing, that take pride in what they're doing, and they really they care. They test. They do full panel testing. They do you know they do everything right. Mm -hmm. And then you've got these other guys, like in any industry, you know, that are in it to make a quick buck that are gonna cut corners, they're not gonna use good solvents and probably they're, they're gonna rush to market, maybe not test and there's gonna be residuals left in there. So that's where you have the differences, you know, and um, unfortunately great products don't make the news, you know, it's only like, you know, uh, some hospital worker ate five Delta eight gummies that, you know, just all this stuff, you know, Kids brought gummies to. That's the one that's been rocking Illinois lately. Yeah. Oh, the kids, yeah. the kids the got kids. Delta eight, and, right. and they the kids got Delta eight, and, and all this stuff. So, yeah, you know, um, and it is illegal. I believe in twenty three or twenty four states now. So, that's my worry, and that's why I started this question. And I have a clip from somebody that might be able to put it better than me. It's a short clip because I know we're we're at the top of our time. But that's really the root of my question there. You And you led with saying exactly what I was concerned about. And I didn't even really know. Delta-8, mm -hmm. apparently, you said it acts on like the CB1 or CB2 receptor. Oh, and it really... Both the CB1 and the CB2 receptors, which is really amazing. And so my point, which I'm going to segue to this video because I feel like I'm going to butcher it. Um, there are things that we can find out maybe down the line. And I'm worried that if we make it illegal that we might not be able to find it out. Like maybe perhaps a cannabinoid that is able to interface with the CB1 and CB2 receptor is especially effective for a certain subtype of Parkinson's absolutely. or something absolutely. like that. And it's like, absolutely, that's where I get scared about. And I'm glad though, that you addressed where maybe the legitimate concerns come from, because 
I just get worried about people on face value demonizing these can- yeah. cannabinoids when it's like even synthetic cannabinoids. Like like you said, sometimes Delta-8 can be purely synthetic. And I want to even talk – like I, I know, again, we're short on time, but I even am referencing like K2 and stuff like that. I think that professionals could make that stuff and there's potential that it could be helpful for certain diseases and by making it just illegal. So – you, you know, know, back in the day when we were doing Molly, right, at clubs having the best time, it was medicine. And now, look, MDMA is, you know, uh, through phase three trials and yeah. after years and years and years, it's going to be used for depression. Well, I knew that 20 years ago when I went to my first rave, you know, so it's like there are things that you learn through trial and error that had it just been stamped out all this progress wouldn't have happened. So I don't think you should ban it. I think you should regulate it, you know, make sure it's tested. That's it, you know? Yeah. And the same thing for all of these, for mushrooms, for DMT, for mescaline, for LSD, all of that stuff. It just needs to be tested to make sure that you're you're getting a good product. Yeah, absolutely. So we can have progress, you know, that's, and well, precision dosing. I'm going to just end with that, how important that is. Precision dosing to just to know that you can get that same experience every time with cannabis, with mushrooms, with all of these. The, and the more that we understand, the more that we can quantify and you can read a lab result and you know you're going to feel that way every time, just like a Tylenol. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Well said. Thank you for returning to that. It's one of the yeah. first su uh, subjects we we started off with. And uh, for the audience, just because I want to be respectful of your time, Masha, I'll play the video after we did it. I actually think that in retrospect, I did just fine in describing it to you. It seemed like you were picking up what I was putting down. And um, so, well, any final words before before I let you go? ACS uh, Labs, what was ACS the website? Lab, ACSLab.com. Um, cannabis in Florida, hemp, 50 states, 16 countries, and mushrooms. We test functional mushrooms too, not just Amanita's um, psilocybin from, you know, with a DA permit. But, you know, I'm here. We do a lot of blogging. If you go into educa our education on our website, um, we spend, if you go to the, the blog, that's what I do is I get to, um, there's categories on all kinds of different you know, we talk about hemp, kratom, uh, mushrooms, and we interview people, we do the research, we treat it like journalism. And education is key. You know, yes. there are no bad drugs, only bad people. No, I'm kidding. No, there's just, <laughs> there's, it's, you know, it's all medicine. You know, it's been here, most of it for thousands of years, and it's not going anywhere. So I'm yeah. happy to or any questions anybody wants to email me it's it's mashty m-a-s-h-t-y at acslab.com happy to answer questions talk to love talking to entrepreneurs and answering any kind of product questions testing questions yeah i'm here for it absolutely and masha i feel like i have to play it's only a minute long i, I have okay, to play this okay. video because yeah. of what you just said how you closed on there's no such thing as a bad drug i agree and that's actually how this video ends so it kind of cool. just caps off everything we just talked about so i'm going to share it so Okay. Oh, there's a bunch of people in Brooklyn and they overdosed on some obscure synthetic cannabinoid and if it gets thrown into Schedule 1, who cares? Not a big deal. Well, that's a very short-sighted way of thinking about all of this because that's exactly what happened with psychedelics. And then we're not learning from the mistakes of the past that just because something it's fun to sensationalize and talk about how dangerous it is at this moment doesn't mean that 10 years from now we're going to recognize that it has serious therapeutic potential and we made a yeah. mistake outlawing it. And I think a lot of that also comes from this sort of us versus them mentality that people have where it's cannabis is good, synthetic cannabinoids are bad. Well, synthetic cannabinoids don't have to be bad for cannabis to be good. Cannabis can be good without something else being bad to counterbalance it. You don't need to hate something to justify your love of cannabis. And this whole hatred of synthetic cannabinoids, I think, is totally misdirected because these are products of prohibition that 
most people wouldn't even want to use in the first place. And when they do use them, they don't know what they're taking, they don't know what dose they're consuming. And so of course they're having bad experiences. That would happen with almost any drug, caffeine included, if people just consumed enormous unmeasured doses without having any idea what they were getting into. And so they're thrown into schedule one. Well, what happens if 30 years from now, once the therapeutic potential of cannabinoids is being really seriously explored, turns out to activate a certain TB1 receptor that's especially useful for Parkinson's disease, then we're going to regret having done that. Yes. Love so, Hamilton. Yeah. Love and, yeah and he's awesome. The, the quote you said, and I'll just, I thought it was in that video, but it's not. He said his advice is to just never speak ill of drugs. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, hey, thank you for your time. I'll thank let you, you go. Um, it was fun. Yeah. And I look forward to the next time. We have more to talk about. So Absolutely. Never ending. Cool. Limitless. Okay. Thank you. Take yeah. care. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye.